This reading is from Galatians 5, verse 16 to 26. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Thank you for that, Isabella. And we are carrying on in our series called Walk by the Spirit, which comes from the first verse that Isabella read to us today, Galatians 5 verse 16, where Paul calls for us to walk by the Spirit so we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul calls us from one way of living to another. And today we are specifically considering the desire of the flesh we most commonly call anger and the whole, and that the Holy Spirit calls us to be a people who walk, who live, who wear, uh, to use just about all the metaphors in the series, gentleness. So anger from anger to gentleness. And I don't think we have a great enough appreciation of gentleness in our day and age, at least not biblical gentleness. And brothers and sisters, I'm really looking forward to today, but to the series as a whole, because I know as I've been preparing for it, uh, the Holy Spirit has been challenging me about what I am living out, whether I am walking with the Spirit. Am I living as a child of God or as a child of the flesh, a child of the devil? And if you are half as challenged as I've been, uh, you're going to be in for quite a ride. Now, we might have some people with us for the first time today. So I want to reference an illustration which I used last week, which I think helpfully sets the scene or, or lays the groundwork for us going into this today. And it starts with us thinking of ourselves as a house or a temple. And the Bible describes us that way, uh, that we are a temple. And in your house or temp your temple, you have different rooms for different characteristics and the things that you value, the things that make you up. And you might think that, that you are you and you own yourself, but the truth of it is, is that you didn't own yourself. You didn't. You might have felt free, but you were, in fact, in debt to sin. Uh, there was a sentence hanging over you. Now, the great news of the Bible, of Jesus, is that God wanted a family for himself, and he paid your debt, uh, and the debt of my sin as well, with the life, with the house, so to speak, of his perfect son. And his son, 
you became a son or daughter of God. It was nothing you did, but it was something that you have believed and received. And this means that you are now free. You are now free to be what God designed you to originally be. Which is a different type of freedom than the world commonly talks about. For Christians, all Christians, God owns us. We belong to him and we're happy about that because uh, we know the alternative isn't any good at all. And it is this belonging to God which gives us the freedom to be what we are meant to be. And this is tricky because while God has the title deed to you, you are still a house with all of the rooms and characteristics and values that you had before. And some of these rooms, well, they're, they're good, they're fine, they're godly. But others are not. Others do not belong in your life now. Now, God hasn't left you alone. He hasn't brought you and then just left you to yourself. No, when Jesus brought you, he sent the Holy Spirit to live in you so that you would live in the Holy Spirit. Uh, this means you have a border, an occupant. The Holy Spirit lives in you to continue Jesus's work. To use a couple of the biblical titles for the Holy Spirit, he is your counselor and guide. And the Holy Spirit plans to do just that to counsel you and to guide you. The Holy Spirit has plans for your life. Good plans, uh, but plans that will involve change. They will involve taking off or removing or putting to death that which does not belong in you now. To put it shortly, it will involve some demolition. But it will be demolition for a purpose. It will be demolition with a goal. Wouldn't you know it that the Holy Spirit wants you to be holy as God is holy? Because that is the sort of home God desires. But if you know building or renovation, then you know that it always takes longer than you want. It costs more than you imagined and it will be more messy than you ever dreamed. And that's true, isn't it? If you've ever done renovation. And that is true of us and the Holy Spirit's renovation in our lives. But all of that cost, that mess, points to God's commitment to you. God doesn't redeem and then renovate the one he doesn't care about. No, God is a committed owner. He is far more committed to us than any of us would imagine. You see, God has the final result, the finished result, in mind, he can see the moving day when his temple, when you will be ready, and he and his family, he and you, can finally dwell together. But for now, we should expect renovation. We should expect there to be some demolition in our lives and to build other parts of our lives. We should expect, as Paul tells us, to walk by the Spirit and to not gratify the desires of the flesh. And one of the things we are called to remove from our lives is anger. Colossians 3 verse 8 tells us that we must also rid ourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. 
from our lips. Likewise, our passage from Galatians 5 today told us that the acts of the flesh include hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions. And James 1 verses 19 to 20 tells us, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And Ephesians 4 verse 26 says to us, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anger is common. Uh, We've all experienced it from others, and we've all dished a bit of it out as well, haven't we? No one has to teach us to be angry. It just comes to us completely naturally, we would say. But when God calls for us to rid ourselves of anger, what are we actually being called to do? Are we meant to be dispassionate people, unemotional, sort of stoic monks that are as unmoved by injustice as a delay in traffic? Well, no, this is not what God is calling us to here, and I hope the the range of scriptures I just gave suggested that to you. Let us always remember that scripture interprets scripture, which is to say when we have a question from God's word, that we don't understand, let us turn to the rest of the Bible to help us understand it. Now, we will always get angry about things. The point is, what are we getting angry about and what are we going to do with our anger? There are some things we should get angry about. If we are unmoved by injustice or sin, then we have a problem because actually we are unlike God then. God gets angry, we are told. Psalm 7 tells us that God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath, his anger, every day. Now the difference between God's anger and ours is that his anger is righteous. We can have a righteous anger as well, it's just that we often don't. Often our anger ends up being unrighteous. And so when the Apostle Paul calls for us to rid ourselves of anger in Colossians 3, we should understand this response uh, together with the other responses immediately around it. So we understand the anger God is calling us to rid ourselves of when we put it together with rage, malice and slander. They help fill out the picture of what God is asking us to rid ourselves of. And it is not so much the feeling of anger we are to rid ourselves of, but the unrestrained and ungodly expression of it. That is why to the Galatians, Paul could list hatred and fits of rage as acts of the flesh. They are acts or works. Now, I'm not ignoring the feeling of anger. Some of us get angry far too easily. Uh, You can probably think of those people. And others of us get angry about completely the wrong things. But we are primarily talking about actions here, about fruit. And so when these so when these verses so when in these verses James calls us to be quick to listen, 
slow to speak and slow to become angry, he gives us the reason. Human anger, he tells us, our natural anger doesn't usually produce the righteousness, the right living, the right response that God desires. We should get angry about some things. But we always need to check ourselves because all too easily we can take even a legitimate grievance and turn it into ungodliness. All too easily we can judge, curse and condemn over the slightest slight, the smallest slight. And this checking ourselves is why Paul calls for us in Ephesians 4 not to sin in our anger. Instead, we should deal with it quickly. Yes, even before the sun goes down, so the devil doesn't get a foothold in our lives. To use my house example from earlier, your anger can open the front door of your life to the devil. If we think we can hold on to our anger and not be consumed by it, then we are fooling ourselves, aren't we? And this is hard, really hard. We might have been wronged, seriously wronged, but if we hold on to our anger and hatred towards others, we can so easily end up being the one to sin and potentially to open our lives to the devil, which is really sobering stuff. But this is what we're talking about here. And this is where God is so different from us. His anger doesn't lead to him sinning. He is always just. In John chapter 2, there is the striking story, uh, and literally it involves striking, of Jesus clearing out the temple. He made a whip of cords, we're told, and drove the animals out. Now, I don't think he hit people, but he, he removed the animals from the temple and he turned over the money changers' tables. It would have been quite the show to observe. And we can sense from the story Jesus' passion, can't we? And it, it sounds a bit like anger to us, doesn't it? But let's think about what Jesus was doing here. He was clearing God's temple, God's house out, so people could approach God. He was removing from it the things that did not belong, so the, those that did belong, people, could be there. And when challenged about what he was doing and what gave him the right to do it, Jesus called for them to destroy this temple and in three days he would raise it up again. Now Jesus' disciples realized after his resurrection that Jesus was, wasn't talking about the physical temple here but about his body, his temple. I think it is fair to say that Jesus wasn't happy here. He, he was upset. We could even say he was angry and he did something about it. But his passion for God and for God's people led him to be willing to lay down his life. Now, I'm going to go out on a bit of a limb here, but I bet your anger, your passion doesn't do that too often. Can't actually think of my anger as ever led me to do that. My anger usually leads me to muttering under my breath or shaking my fist, and, you know, that's just bad traffic. God's anger is so very different to ours, isn't it? Yes, God gets angry. Yes, he does show his anger, and one day he will show it completely, which is a fearful thought. 
But the vast majority of the time, he is patient and merciful as he moves towards us and seeks to restore us, as Jesus shows us most clearly. You know, we are in isolation currently, and my family has had some great times together. Truly, we have. But the description of being in a bubble together is not always accurate. Bubbles are light and iridescent. And sometimes our bubble is far more like a pressure cooker, truth be told. Uh, The lid is on tight, it is hot, and I'm feeling it. And while Robin and I have our moments, we do, I really mean my own two dearly beloved children when I talk about being in a pressure cooker. My own flesh and blood who are so small and yet wind me up like nothing else. You know, there was a day this past week when my three-year-old son uh, threw flour in my wife's face. Now, Robin, my wife, is celiac. Uh, She can't eat flour. It will make her sick. And this flour got into her mouth and she is now sick for several days. Uh, That same day, my son was particularly violent to his little sister. Now, he's regularly fairly rough, but it was more this day. And then the pebble that really caused the avalanche, uh, he went and hit his mother and particularly he disrespected her. And look, I don't think of myself as an angry man, but to use the vernacular, I was seeing red and I was ready to go to war. And hear me here. I could have given vent to my anger. I could have opened the door to the devil. Now my son is three and unfortunately I suspect he is a lot like me when I was three. Uh, This story is not about him, it's about me and my anger. I'm a long way beyond three and I need to rid myself, rid myself of my fleshly anger because I am saved and called to more in Jesus. I'm called to be gentle as Jesus has been with me and to lay down my life for others. I have a battle with my flesh, as all Christians do. And this has always been the way, always been the way. One of the best stories of this in the Bible is the story of the first brothers, Cain and Abel, found in Genesis chapter 4. We have had this battle from the beginning. And in this story, Cain and Abel both bring offerings to God. They both relate to God. And Abel's offering is well received by God, while Cain's offering is not. And there is the fairly clear suggestion in the text that Cain brought God his second best. He gave God less than first place in his life. But Cain got upset about God not receiving his offering, and he got very angry over this. Hate started to creep into his life. A fit of rage was not that far away. But what happens next in this story is amazing. God seeks Cain out. We have no idea if everyone else knew how Cain felt. I'm guessing they did. But God certainly knew how Cain felt, and God sought him out. 
This is who God is. And here God counsels Cain saying, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Now, obviously, Cain hadn't done what is right, but here God is calling Cain to do what is right, calling him to think, to reflect, to know the way out of his anger and frustration. And God gives Cain and us the most incredible image, saying, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Isn't that amazing? God cared so much for Cain, and he is gentle here with him. He didn't write Cain off. Here Cain was having done the wrong thing and feeling upset and angry with everyone else, and it is God who counsels him. Amazing. And the Holy Spirit is very much like this in our lives. When we do what is wrong, we need to be careful that we don't open the door and let the devil in. Because his only desire is to master us. If we give vent to our anger, that is not us being free. Instead, it is us who will be mastered and enslaved by our sin. This is an incredible story. It's an incredible lesson for us all. Unfortunately, it has an incredibly sad ending. But the point is that we are not alone. God is with us and for us. He is gentle with us. God's spirit dwells in us, calling us forward, calling us to do the right thing and to be free of sin, to turn from our sin, that we might be holy as our God is holy. So here's the short of it. And you know this is coming from someone who, who sees red himself. Are you slow to anger? Are you slow to anger? Because the opposite is that you are someone who explodes or flies off the handle and neither of those are godly or holy. Neither of those are what you are called to be. Now, we are meant to be a people of deep passion and solid conviction. In fact, I'd say part of our problem is that our passion and conviction aren't deep enough. They aren't strong enough. But how are we doing with our anger? When was the last time you exploded or flew off the handle? Let us master our fleshly passions that we might bring them to bear for God's glory instead of it ending in our shame and distance from God. Freedom is not found in our anger. Secondly, have you let the devil in? Have you opened the door of your life thinking you are in control of your anger? only to realize you let the wrong spirit in. If you have, then hear me, you are not too far gone. God is the one who seeks us all out, but you're going to have a battle on your hands. You're going to have to have some, you're going to have some work to do. 
it's not work you have to do alone and in fact it is work you are not meant to do alone no the holy spirit is with you and for you but this battle will start where all christian battles start it will start in repentance and prayer you didn't start your life in jesus in your own strength and you are not meant to live it in your own strength lastly are you holding on to anger is there anger over something that you have not released is there anger in your life that has seen the rising and falling of many sons then i want to say be careful because it it will control you it might even consume you i'm not calling for you to overlook injustice but i'm saying be very careful with your anger your anger is a fire and it can burn you if you hold on to it do not let the sun go down on your anger now this is quite a bit of talk about anger what about gentleness well don't panic and please don't get angry i'm not going to spend as long on this but we needed this background about anger to rightly understand godly gentleness you see i believe godly gentleness or biblical gentleness must be one of the most overlooked and undervalued fruit of the spirit or qualities of the christian life and i think this is because we misunderstand it we often associate gentleness with uh, someone who's just soft or weak but the opposite is actually true in the bible the opposite is true jerry bridges talks of this misunderstanding when he says both gentleness and meekness and he's talking about both of them because they are often misunderstood together are born of power not weakness hear that both gentleness and meekness are born of power not weakness there is a pseudo or false gentleness that is effeminate and there is a pseudo meekness that is cowardly but a christian is to be gentle and meek because those are godlike virtues we should never be afraid therefore that the gentleness of the spirit means weakness of character it takes strength god's strength to be truly gentle and this quote is in the new sheet notes in the video description but i believe jerry hits upon something important here godly gentleness holy spirit gentleness requires power and strength it is when our flesh our natural inclination is to vent and to strike out and to cut the other person down to size that we need to be gentle and that takes spiritual backbone and i say spiritual backbone with a big s holy spirit backbone that takes setting our mind on what the spirit wants in a situation such as me parenting my son and not what my flesh says to do this is not easy this does not come naturally to us in one sense it requires great power to forgo all those desires to vent and to let rip at people and instead to be gentle with them a part of our challenge here is that we have been deceived anger is not hard anyone can be angry 
gentleness is hard. We mightn't be hard enough or strong enough to be gentleness. Gentleness takes thinking less of ourselves and more of the other person. Gentleness takes laying our lives down to serve the other who might well have wronged us. Now hear me, gentleness never bends the truth. Never bends the truth. But gentleness will bend to serve the other person that they might have the opportunity to receive the truth. And isn't this the Jesus we see in the Bible? Yes, we read of Jesus giving some people an earful in the Bible. Now, they were always people such as religious leaders who were threatening or endangering their own or others' access to God. And in the church, we have a higher standard and less patience for those who speak for God or represent him. But this is the same Jesus who literally laid down his life on the cross, praying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Is that us? Is that how we live? If you want to know if you are gentle, don't ask the question directly. Let's not ask if we are gentle. We'll likely misunderstand it and get an unhelpful answer. Instead, let's ask whether people would describe us as gracious, kind, patient, loving, merciful and self-controlled. If we can't answer that ourselves, then let's ask our spouse or ask an honest friend. If they can answer with these or at least some of them, then we are gentle. Then we are walking with the Spirit. And this is why I'll be quick about gentleness today, because the other fruit of the Spirit will speak to it over the coming weeks. Brothers and sisters, Romans 8 verse 12 tells us, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Yes, brothers and sisters, let us live as the children of God. Let us put to death the works of the flesh. Let us be a people who are passionate in our faith, strong in listening to the Spirit, so that we will be hard enough, we will be strong enough to be gentle. Let's pray together. Oh, Holy Spirit, we have heard your word today, a challenging word, because we all struggle with gentleness. We all struggle with anger. I mean, in different places in our lives. But I pray for us all that where you have poked and prodded us today, where you have highlighted something that does not belong in our lives, that we would not look away, we would not ignore you, but we would listen, we would look at it, and we would be willing to take a sledgehammer to it. We would be willing to work with you to remove it, to rid our lives of it, that we might truly live as your people. And instead, when anger flares up within us, Yes, we ask, Holy Spirit, for your help to be gentle. 
to remember how Jesus has been gentle with us and to show that forth in our lives. That we will not bend the truth. We will not be weak or cowardly, but in those times we will be strong and we will stand up and live as the people we have been redeemed to be and whom you call us to be now. Shape us. Make us holy, we pray. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, if you have the time, please stick around for the gathering. Look for the link in the video description or get your smartphone camera out and point the camera at the QR code that is about to appear somewhere on the screen. Hopefully it sends you to the right link and we will see you soon enough. If not, and it all falls apart, uh, God's richest blessing for your week ahead. May you know the Holy Spirit's closeness throughout it. Remember, God does not redeem and renovate the one he does not love. If you hear his whisper this week or feel his sledgehammer, know that both speak of belonging and love. I'll talk to you again soon. God bless you.